0: kind of worth celebrating again, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, amen. He's alive and it changes everything. Let's, let's pray and then uh, we're going we're gonna to work our way to 1 Peter uh, to talk about the resurrection. So, Father, your son is alive and it changes everything. He's alive and so our hopelessness becomes hope. He's alive, so we've been rescued from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. He's alive, and even in sorrow, even in crosses, there is joy set before us. Because He's alive. He's alive, and so death is defeated, and even though we die, we shall still live. He's alive and our sin has been crushed and your wrath against us has been satisfied and we have been set free to be your children. Because he's alive. And Father, just as you raised your son from the dead by your glory, you have raised us from death to life to live a brand new life, to walk in the newness of life. You've changed us today. You're changing us today. So God, don't let us think about this as some past event. Don't let us think about this as some future thing we're waiting on. But let us see it today. Behold Jesus today. Be changed by his life today. The the new creation that we are in Christ would live itself out. And we'd look more like Jesus. We'd look more to Jesus. Father, we know that we just can't do that on our own. And so we ask you to do it for us, Father. We ask you to do it in us, Father. God, my words are weak. They're just words. But you are powerful, God. Your word is powerful. It is living and active. And so I pray, Father, that your words would be living and active today. They would be living and active to take a withered dead faith and resurrect it to life. They'd be active to take those who are dead and make them alive again. They would be active, Father, to take those who are in hopelessness and despair and fear and be made courageous and made hopeful and made alive. God, would you do that? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we work our way to First Peter um, I want us to think about today and focus on today that the resurrection of Jesus is not just some historical fact that we study, because I think we get stuck in that sometimes. Yeah, there was this cross, and yeah, there was this tomb, and it was a nice tomb from a really rich guy, and he gave all this nice money to make sure Jesus was buried well, and yeah, on on Sunday these ladies came, and, and the tomb opened up, and there were angels, and all that is so great and amazing in the past. I don't want us to do that. I want us to treat the resurrection the way the scripture treats the resurrection. It's a present reality in the life of the believer. It is a present power in the life of the believer. It is not something in the past only, though it is in the past, true and historic. It's a present reality that God has applied to our life. It's a present power that God has placed into our life to live out. And so I want us to look at it from that perspective today as we look at at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And so, yes, it is historical fact. Jesus bodily rose from the grave, real body, real flesh that could eat fish, that could be touched by Thomas, that could be seen, that could be talked to. He did rise from the dead. He did prove that by appearing to many, by the, to the disciples and to the ladies and to an expanded group of disciples and to 500 people over a period of many weeks. He, he did appear. He, he did prove it that he rose from the dead. The resurrection becomes the linchpin of our faith, right? Paul says, if it's not true, we of all men are most to be pitied. And so it is historic, it is real, it matters, and it's also present. It's also a present reality. Because, you know, a lot of people died on Roman crosses. A lot of them. Or a real lot of them. And I'm sure some of them even claim some measure of greatness. Greatness. What separates Jesus from all of them is the resurrection. What separates the Christian faith from all of them is a living, resurrected, forever at the right hand of the Father King. That's that's all the difference in the world. It is that God became flesh and he dwelt among us and he took a cross and he died and he rose again from the dead. That's the thing. That's the difference. But it's got to make a difference in our lives today. Have you ever met this Jesus? I'll just go ahead and press it on you. I know that this is a special day and and more people come today than, than some other times of the year. And so have you ever seen and met the resurrected Jesus? Have you ever been confronted with sin that separates you from a holy God? Have you ever been confronted with the wages of your sin as death? And then has the Holy Spirit ever confronted you with a picture of Jesus, the glorious God-made flesh, dying for your sins, rising again to offer you life? And have, ever you, have you ever repented? That is big church word to say turn away from your sin and your self-rule and, and, and you being the God of your own world and you being the lawmaker of your own world, have you ever turned from that and put your faith in Jesus? And I don't mean your religious faith. Yeah, that's a good set of facts you're talking about. I meant the weight of your life. Have you ever put that on a resurrected king named Jesus? I want to press it on you today to hear that. To hear the Spirit say that to your life. To believe that. It has present power to save you. Let's look at 1 Peter. Verses 3-9 through is what we're going to focus on of chapter 1. Only fitting way to start a celebration... In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, even though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have seen him, or not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him... You believe in him, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So let's look at that. The resurrection secures for us a living hope. The resurrection secures for us a living hope. And you may be looking at this and thinking, you know what, that that doesn't necessarily feel like an Easter passage. Resurrection's only mentioned once. But the resurrection puts its thumbprint on the top of every single other thing that comes out of the text. Everything that is true in this text of us, everything that is true in this text of our eternity, everything that's true of this text in facing the pain of life in a broken world, everything that's true about seeing and loving and believing and rejoicing in Jesus has the thumbprint of the resurrection on it. It is only by the means of the resurrection that we enjoy these things. And that's what we're looking at. The resurrection secures for us this living hope. The resurrection secures for us this living hope. Let's look at some of it: of an eternal, of eternal inheritance that the world can't tarnish or take away; of an eternal inheritance that the world can't tarnish or take away. Have you ever noticed this? Everything rusts, everything decays. I have to buy a grill every two years. This one's lasted me like three, and so I'm pretty excited. But like every two years, I have to buy a brand new grill because the grates start to crack and wear out and rust. The little burner plate covers, you know, they wear out. The burners themselves start to to deteriorate and they won't spit out fire the right way or they rust. And then the racket of these grill companies is it's cheaper to buy a new grill than to buy the grates and to buy the burner covers and to buy the burners and fix the thing. Everything wears out. When you drove here, you passed like 30 car lots. You know why? Everything wears out. Everything wears out. You may have passed a doctor's office or two. A few of us, as we have aged, realize these bodies wear out. Lowe's has aisles after aisle after aisle of appliances because everything wears out. Your microwave wears out. Your dishwasher wears out. Your stove wears out. Your refrigerator wears out. I think this is God's way of shouting to you, don't build your life on stuff that wears out. I think it's God saying throughout everything that you experience in life, from your body to the material world, it's in decay. Don't build your life on this stuff. Build your life on something that doesn't wear out. Build your life on something that's eternal. Build your life on something that can't be stolen. Build your life on something that can't shake because it's temporary. Or shake because it's threatened. Or shake because it wears out. And God is saying, everything fades. Except for me. Build your life on me. I think that's what we're seeing in this first section as we see it. Jesus said it this way. Store up your treasure in heaven Where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves can break in and steal That's what he's saying Build your life and place the treasure of your life and place the affections of your life In the kind of things that the world can't corrupt or steal from you Make sure the true treasure of your life is banked somewhere where it's safe And this passage is going to tell us where that is So let's look at it Quick overview it's a very fitting that the, the section starts out with blessed be. Blessed is the word that means to speak well of or to speak a good word over. We would use the word praise for it. And so blessed be. Praised be. What is the only fit response to the resurrection? What is the only fit response to being born again? What is the only fit response to having a hope that is alive and not dead? A good word about God called praise blessed be and then he gives the list he gives the reasons this overflow of the passages the goodness of god brought to us in salvation is overflowing to us as a praise as a reason to praise as a prompter of of worship out of our lives and so he goes to that blessed be and then he talks about things oh look what it's purchased for you he's born you you're born again to a living hope the hope that is alive you have an inheritance that's eternal And all of that gives you the ability to have joy when in this world it's necessary and it's going to happen that you have trials. And so in the pain and brokenness of this world, you can have joy. Not because of the trials, but because of the inheritance secured for you and the salvation bought for you and the hope that's yours in Christ. You can face whatever this world brings you with hope, with joy. And then he closes it out almost in poetic form. This Jesus you haven't seen and yet you suffer for him, you love him. And it hasn't stolen your love to suffer, it's enhanced your love to suffer. And this, this, this Jesus that you still don't see with your eyes yet, you still believe in him. You still live in faithfulness to him. And you still rejoice with a joy that people cannot comprehend so that's kind of the overflow of the passage. Let's, let's break it down. Let's look at it real quickly. Blessed be. Speak well of. This is a huge term as you walk through the Old Testament. And it shows up in several of Paul's letters in important places too. God does this to creation. He blesses it. He speaks a good word over it. The first thing he does for humanity, he blessed them. He spoke a good word over them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He blessed the Sabbath day. And it's also used not just of God to creation and to people and the Sabbath. It's also used of people to God. Speak a good word over to praise. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his rich mercy. And this verse is the central verse of everything in this passage and really everything in this life. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection from the dead. And so today, you have been born again because God chose to give birth to you again. And the word there is not caused, it's, to just, it's just the word that says he bore you again. He gave birth to you a second time. He gave you a new nature. And so when he says you are born again and when you are born again, you become a new creation in Christ. You are given a new identity. A new word is spoken over you to define you. You are placed into a new family. And you have a new father who is a good and gracious father who does not leave or forsake, who does not abandon, who does not abuse, who is not the father that you grew up with but is the father that Scripture defines for you. And all of that is yours through the resurrection. You have been born again. He gave birth to you again. And if he gave birth to you again, that gives you a living hope. It gives you a hope that is alive and not dead. It gives you a hope that is active and effective and working, not a hope that is empty and vain. He gives you a hope that is certain and not a hope that is wishful. You see, in the Bible, the word hope never means wishful thinking. In the Bible, when the word hope is used, it never means I wish something would happen different than is happening. I don't know that it will. Maybe I have some certainty or maybe I don't. When the Bible uses the word hope, it always means God has guaranteed, spoken or promised something in the future that just hasn't happened yet. And so I live with hope, with certainty, with confidence, with unmovability, waiting on the fulfillment of God's word. You have a hope that is alive. But think about all the hopes you live for. And I ain't just singling I'm not just singling you out. But think of all the hopes I live for. Think of all the things that are not eternal and are not living and can't handle the weight of my hope that I put my hope in. My job. The prestige my job might give me. The career path and advancement it might give me. My degree i get the right degree the world will work out well and i will get a good job and i'll have a good life and i'll have a good spouse and everything will go perfectly i bank my hope in having enough money i own equal portions of eternal heaven and i'm worried and i'm banking my hope in is my bank account big enough living hope or dead hope what are the things you place your hope in my kids they're going to be great sports stars My kids, they're going to get good grades. My kids, they're going to behave the right way. My kids, they're going to follow the right path. My kids, they're going to be safe and secure. Think of the things you bank your hope in. Future spouse. One day I'll get married and life will be good. One day I will get married. I'll find just the right guy or just the right girl. And it's going to complete me. And it's going to be just like the movies. Of course, there's others who are married in this room and they're like, If my spouse would just, I'd have hope again, right? Anything we place our hope in outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the inheritance purchased for us by that shakes. It's empty. It can't hold the weight of hope. But he's given us through being born again by his spirit, by his gospel, a living hope that is alive and it is effective and it does not fail and it does not shake and it cannot be threatened by anything. Which leads us to the key statement, because you're thinking through the resurrection of the dead. Now, here's, here's Easter. It just showed up. How is this living hope yours? How is this born again yours? How is this inheritance yours? How is the hope of joy and, the, and present suffering because of future glory, how is it yours? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The only way you possess any of it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only way that you can claim and live in hope, meaning certainty, immovability, for any of the realities we're talking about, the only way that is yours is by means of, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so everything else we talk about in this passage comes out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the means of the resurrection is by how all of this is given to us. Through the resurrection from the dead, and then look at this first part of what he gives us. Through the resurrection from the, of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is the first purchase of the resurrection? He gives us born again. He gives us living hope. And through the resurrection, what does he give us? An eternal inheritance. One that doesn't have a shelf life. One that isn't stuck in the back of your refrigerator and you finally get to it and it has this horrible smell that you finally trace down because it's like six months out of date. It's not perishable. It doesn't have a shelf life, the eternal inheritance that he's given us. It is not defiled. That is, it's not stained. There is nothing about it that is corrupted. There's nothing about it that has a stain on it. And it's unfading. I don't encourage you to do this, but if you do this on your way out, you might walk around and see where the windows are in this building, and then you might look at the carpet and like, yeah, I bet it was a different green before the sun got on it for, you know, however many years it's been here. You might notice that it fades. Or you might notice places that have been covered and when you uncover them, it's this perfect green. Oh, that's what it used to look like. Yeah, carpet fades. We fade. Our inheritance through being born again, reserved for us by belonging to Jesus, does not fade. The sun doesn't bleach it. It doesn't wear it out. And it's kept in heaven for us. The word kept is to send troops into a city to secure it. And so God has given us a treasure in the city of heaven that's reserved for us forever. It's eternal. And then he moved in the power of his sovereign hand, sat in the middle of it to secure it, and it cannot be touched again. It is kept for you in heaven by the power of God. It is kept for you in heaven and cannot be taken by any human hands or by any human effort. It's kept by God. And then look at this. It's guarded by God's power through faith. Now, here we get one of those conundrums, right? Because if it's kept through my faith, it doesn't feel quite as unfading as if it was kept by something else. Now, you may have a better way of doing it than me, but I have more faith some days than other days. My faith is a little more vibrant, a little more alive some days than others. And yet, it's kept by my faith, this eternal inheritance. But it's not just kept by my faith, is it? It's kept by God's power through faith. God sovereignly keeps and guards my inheritance and uses the means of my faith as part of that. And so it is his power that keeps me faithful. It is his power that grants me faith to keep going. It is in salvation and the gospel and the sealing of the Holy Spirit that faith, is given and strengthened and undergirded by the power of God. And so you have divine sovereignty and human responsibility beautifully working together to secure for us this eternal inheritance that doesn't wear out. And then look at this last statement here. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. What has God kept for us? A salvation and an inheritance that's ready for us at the last time. So your salvation is in the past. If you're saved there was a time in your life Where the gospel was declared to you Where you turned from yourself and you put your faith in jesus the holy spirit sealed you until the day of redemption Past completed But did you know your salvation is also a present tense process in your life? The bible speaks of it. You are being saved meaning present tense Salvation is working out in your life to make you look more like jesus to take your life and mold it into the image of Jesus so that Jesus reflects more and more in your life. We call this sanctification. It's salvation in the present tense. But do you know what salvation is? also future. It's the final consummation of everything. It's when you see Jesus and then you become perfectly like Jesus because you see him as he is, 1 John 3 talks about. And so this is talking about future salvation. You have this inheritance belongs to you coming to you at this future salvation. Did you know if you we've not been given a spirit of fear by which we but we've been given a spirit of adoption by which we cry out Abba Father. And we're children of God and if children were heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ so that all that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. Did you know that's true and it's kept and secured not by how good you can do. It's kept and secured by how good God has done already. And it's yours. You own a portion of eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, equal with Jesus. And you're worried about, do you have the latest iPhone? Or maybe you're like me, Samsung. Just saying. Judge me if you will. You have a portion of eternity and you're worried about your bank account. You have a portion of eternity and you're worried, do I have the right label on my clothes? You have a portion of eternity and you're wondering, is my job successful enough and put enough image up in front of people? You have an eternal inheritance from God himself equal to that that is given to Jesus. Why do we care so much about this stuff that a new model is coming out in six months anyways? That's how deceitful the human heart is and why we need a better hope And why he gives us a better hope And so where are you banking your hope? Everything is empty and everything will fail you And you will find that when you put the weight of hope on another person You will crush them with the weight of your hope And they will not be able to shoulder it But if you place your hope in the one who conquered death who sits at the right hand of God the Father, then it will never be taken. It will never be taken and it will never shake. Let's look at the second one. It secures for us a living hope of joy in the face of suffering because our genuine faith is extremely precious. Of joy in the face of suffering because our genuine faith is extremely precious. See if you can figure out the rest of the statement. No pain, no gain. Why do we put ourselves through pain to play sports? Why do we put ourselves through pain to learn an instrument? Why do we put ourselves through pain to get an education or a degree or a job? Because of the gain that we anticipate. And so when we look at your life and we look at my life, suffering will be part of it. You don't get to sidestep pain if you live in this world. There is no way around that. So the question of suffering, because some suffering will come to you... Specifically cause you are a Christian. The question of of Christian suffering is this. Is the gain worth the pain? And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead shouts yes. A thousand times yes. No matter what you face. No matter a cross. And the resurrection still says it's yes. It's worth it. It's worth it. So let's look at it in this section. So we have this resurrection that makes our hope living and precious right here, right now. And we need that because you're going to leave these doors and you may not even have to leave these doors to figure it out. You're going to leave these doors and walk into a broken world. And it's going to crush you sometimes. And it's going to hurt sometimes. And it's going to be really hard sometimes. How do we face that? Well, it would seem that Peter says with joy in this you rejoice not in your trials But in being born again in having a living hope in having a resurrected Jesus who has bought you an eternal inheritance in that you rejoice Even if for now and now you're seeing why he gives us these things the the truths of those verses If necessary for a little while you're grieved by various trials Why does it matter this resurrection hope? Why does it matter that our hope is living? It matters right here, right now, because the world is painful. And so if if for a little while, your, your trials are temporary, but you're like, they have been going on for years. Yeah, but this life, all of it, 80 years of it, is like one little dot on the map of eternity. It's a little while that you'll suffer. It's just a little while. I know it feels like a long time, especially right in the middle of it. But it's just for a little while. And then look at this, if necessary. Your suffering, if you follow Jesus, is purposeful. Your suffering is not fate dealing a bad deck of cards to you. Your suffering is the good hand of a good God working specifically in your life through suffering to make and to form Jesus in you. And so we're grieved by various trials, if necessary, And he's going to tell us that in a second. If necessary, we're grieved by various trials. And look, I I have no clue. I have no way to answer the question why people's suffering is different from each other. I have no way to answer why do you get a deeper lot of suffering than me or I get a deeper lot than you. I have no way to answer the question of why is the intensity of your suffering much more intense than the intensity of mine or of others. But what we do have framed out for us here is a perspective on suffering that lets us walk through it with joy because that's his goal. In this you rejoice, even if you have to suffer for a while by various trials because your trials are going to be different than mine and they're going to be different from your spouses and they're going to be different from the people around you and they may be more intense and they may be harder and they may be longer but in this you can still rejoice that he has borne you again to a living hope. He has promised you an eternal inheritance that can't be faded by your trials. And it can't be stolen by your hardship because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And so in this rejoice, why? Because the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold. Think about this. If it is faith... That keeps and guards this eternal inheritance if it is faith that allows you to see the beauty and the majesty of jesus if it is faith That accesses all these promises to live today and the promises that god has given us Then the best gift god can give you is a faith that has been tested And a faith that is proven genuine when it's hard Isn't that true like, I don't necessarily want that but one of the best gifts god can give you is the hardship that makes your faith shine. And so it talks about gold which is tested by fire and it's melted down and the impurities are scooped out of it. And that's how gold becomes pure and valuable versus kind of this thing you wouldn't want. Your faith, being genuinely tested and found approved, is more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than anything else God can give you in this life. Because it's by that we secure and keep and walk in and live in all his rich promises. It's by that that we see Jesus. It's by that that we live with a living hope and not a dead hope. And so in this you rejoice. In your hardships, you rejoice. When you're grieved by various trials, you rejoice. Because the tested genuineness of your faith is better than gold, it is better than a comfortable life, it's better than having a lot of money. It's better than it being easy from here to there. The good thing is God chooses it, not us. Because it's like, for me, I'm like, I'll take some silver faith. Maybe copper. Because I'm good with that. But the good hand of God says, I am going to refine your faith like gold because it is worth more than anything else I could give you. And I'm going to give you a tested, genuine faith. And it's going to be worth it. And I promise you there are people who have suffered from the beginning of of Christianity to today who have found it true. God works all things together for good only to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when we love God and we're called to his purposes, he takes what is evil and what is hard and what is bad and what is good and the final equation, it's good. Not the individual act, but the the final sum of everything that has happened is good for those who love him and called to his purposes. And even when Jesus returns and we see him, I mean, this is a shocking thought. He will bestow praise and honor on me? That's what it says. The tested genuineness of your faith More precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, or perishes though tested by fire, will result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I have nothing but what He gave me, and yet what He gave me, He's going to come back and bestow honor on me for having, which means I will have that much more to offer back to Him for His glory. Even in trials, even in hardship, we can face them because of this living hope. Because this genuine faith God's working in us is better than anything else that we could get to. And so, do I like trials? No. I don't like shots. Much less trials that actually last and are hard and, and oftentimes very extended periods of time. Do I like to be hurt by people? Mm-mm. Do I like to face, like, uncertainty of job loss? No. Do I like to face bad diagnosis from doctors? Uh-uh. Do I like to be betrayed and rejected? Don't like it at all. But do we have the capacity for joy when we face these things? Imperfectly, because we're frail? Yes, we do. We do. And so here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think in your heart. Think of your sufferings, Think of your disappointment. Think of your hardship. Think, think of what has hurt you in this life. And it's legitimate, and God cares for it. And he stores the tears of his saints in a bottle because he cares. But then I want you to think about this bigger picture of the story God is painting of the masterpiece of your life. And that's just little shadow portions compared to the whole thing. But it's not just that story he's writing, is it? It is the story of the world's redemption that he is writing. He is painting a picture of redemption that is global. He is painting a picture of his glory that is global, that stretches through millennia. And the little shadows of my life are just accentuations on a masterpiece of art that he is painting as a story of redemption. Does it make it not hurt? No. But does it place it in the right perspective? Yes, there's an eternity waiting on me. Where all that is good forever will be mine and I will see him and I won't even need a son anymore because he will be the light of the city And there'll be a river. There'll be a garden again And it's a garden that can't be taken away by our sin ever again And the fruit will bear out in every single season and there will be one tree not true two trees this time And it's ours And if you'll frame your shadows and your life and your hardship with the bigger picture of the story god is writing you can rejoice, even if now, if necessary, for a little while, you suffer. The last step, we'll just hit it real quickly, of faith in Jesus that leads to love and inexpressible joy as we wait for a final glory. The resurrection secures for us a living hope of faith in Jesus that leads to love and inexpressible joy as we wait for final glory. The ending is almost poetic. You have never seen Jesus with your eyes, and you love Jesus. You have suffered for a Jesus you have never seen. And it did not erase your love for him. It enhanced your love for him. You love him more even if you haven't seen him. You love him more because you've suffered. More because it's refined your vision of the beauty of Jesus to have pieces of your flesh taken from you. Whether that be your heart or your body. You love him more. And you still haven't seen him with your eyes face to face. And yet you believe. You present tense actively believe. You present tense actively are faithful to a Jesus you still don't see yet. And he's commending them for that. It has been hard for you and you still believe. You still live faithfully. You still walk by faith and not by sight. And yes, it is true you have seen Jesus through a mirror dimly. And yes, it is true you have seen Jesus because beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. But you have not fully seen Jesus because when you see Jesus, when he comes back, you will see him and then you will become exactly like Jesus. Why? Because you will see him as he is. And so you have seen him, but you haven't seen him yet. And you still love and you still believe and you still rejoice in a way that can't be explained by words. And it is filled with the brightness of his greatness and worth. Glory. It's filled with that. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. The final, full salvation of your soul. Where you will walk into a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be no sin anymore. And there will be no temptation anymore. And there will be no failure anymore. And there will be no hurt anymore. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more betrayal. There will just be perfection. And we can't even imagine it. But it's ours. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's look at a few practical things as we close out. First, believe in the crucified and risen Jesus. Jesus. I beg you to hear the voice of the Spirit calling you from death to life if you have never placed your faith in Jesus. And I'm not asking, do you have some religion on you? That will not save you. I'm not asking, have you done some good works? That will not save you. I'm not asking if you have zero concern for religion whatsoever and your family drug you here and just to please grandma you showed up. That does not mean the Holy Spirit does not have a divine appointment with your life. And so I beg you to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus. But I think it's easy to fall into another group that needs this statement as well. Believe in the crucified and risen Jesus if your faith is withered. Because it's easy to walk through this life and to walk through its pain and to walk through its routine and to walk through its distractions and your faith shrivel up into almost nothing. And you live depleted and you live tired And you live depressed. And you live hurting. And whatever else it is. And you need a resurrected faith. But you have a resurrected Jesus. You have a Jesus that has a cross and a resurrection. It's a resurrected faith you need to pray for. It's a resurrected faith we need to pray for for you. And we have. Second, grab hold of and rest in a living hope. Grab hold of and rest in the living hope. Would you let go of those puny little things that you're banking the hope of your life in? It's going to be worth it if I have this. It's going to be better if I have this. Would you instead look to the one who went to death and conquered it and sits at the right hand of God securing for you all that we've talked about? Would you cling to him for your hope? I would just ask you to turn. We call it repent. Turn from these false hopes. And restore your hope to the one who can hold the weight of it without being crushed. Last one. Resurrection can hold the weight of our sorrows and it can compel our faithfulness. There is not one thing you'll experience in this life that the cross and the resurrection are not sufficient to carry with you. There is not one thing somebody can do to you in this life, not one thing that's been inflicted on you in this life, that Jesus is not big enough and his resurrection is not big enough to carry and to redeem and to comfort and to use purposefully. The resurrection is big enough. Jesus is big enough to carry the weight of your sorrow, but he's also big enough to carry the weight of your faithfulness in your service to him. Our present growth and getting through it all our future glory It all comes down Through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead If it's not true pity us If it's true It changes everything It secures for us everything Let's pray So father in the name of your son, jesus. We bow The one who died our death and rose and offered us his life. The one who took our sin and gave us his righteousness. The one who carries the weight of hope and is not crushed but fulfills. The one who takes sorrows and comforts because you are the God of comforts and the Father of all mercies. The one who according to his great mercy has lavished mercy on us. We come to you, Father. We come to you, Father. And we ask you to visit us with your comfort, with your salvation, with your hope, with your prodding towards faithfulness to live, God, the life and the mission that you've died and resurrected to give us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.